You are listening to For Land Sake, hosted by Bill Kite. This is a rebroadcast of a show recorded in May 2016 with local artists Fred Haberlin and the late Mary Noon. You're listening to Land Sake. I'm Bill Kite, your host, on the second Tuesday of every month at 4.30. You'll hear people here from all walks of life give their personal perspective on land issues and tell thought-provoking stories about our sense of place on Mother Earth. Today, we're very lucky to have two local artists in the studio with us, Mary Noon and Fred Haberlin. Welcome, Mary and Fred. I can't remember how long it's been since I've known you guys, uh, both of you, and it's been a privilege I'll start here with an introduction for Mary um, and say a few things about you and your paintings. Uh, first of all, uh, you and your husband, Bob, started Summer of Jazz a number of years ago. What year was that? 1985. 1985. i just come here, moved here in 1984, and I remember that uh, created a lasting impression on me. Uh, and it lasted just till a few years ago. Till 2010. We to- 2010. 2010. Not a replacement exactly, but a but a show that does has, uh, feature music. So that's good that your legacy's been carried on. Yes, the Arts Council's keeping it going. That's that's a good thing. And uh, I I you paint the most beautiful landscapes. Uh, the ones I remember the most are of Mount Sopris. And the other day I was in uh, a friend's kitchen, and looked over at the calendar, and lo and behold, there was your work on the calendar. And uh, you know I I saw your website. It, it made me chuckle a little. It said, Mary is creating new and exciting floral paintings, uh, or, and you're creating them when it's safe to paint outside again. <laughs> and I thought that was that was good because we've had so much rain lately. It, yeah, I'm itching it, to get outside. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going camping this weekend myself. Uh, and uh, you know, just if you want to see more of uh, Mary's work there, just Google her name, uh, put uh, artist Mary Noon, and you'll find her work there and how to contact her. And then Fred, or Lightning Heart, as many of us know you by, uh, it's, uh, you're a public artist uh, whose scale is usually a bit larger than Mary's. Uh, and and uh, I've seen your big murals at the top of the tram uh, on the side of the old CMC building in Glenwood Springs and in downtown Carbondale here uh, on one of, the, one of the buildings. But my all-time favorite is in the San Luis Valley uh, of the Sandhill Crane on a silo off U.S. 285 near San Antonito, uh, Colorado. And I have a list here with me of all of your 136 murals, counting your first one in Oracle, Arizona in 1977. What an amazing record. To have more murals completed by one artist than any other artist in the United States. That's an amazing thing. I didn't know that. It, 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 it makes me go, wow, that is impressive. Uh, public art at its best. But I want to start with the ladies first. So, Mary, um, I'm hoping that uh, both of you might today inspire someone listening who might be interested in painting landscapes but just doesn't have that desire yet or passion to get started. So, Mary, what got you into painting landscapes in the first place? I know you paint other things. Well, I, I prefer landscapes. I prefer to paint outside, and I never... In the summer, my car is full of my paint, and I've got the back, I've got my chair, i got my water, i got the whole thing, and I just pop up, and there I am. Because this time of year, it's so hard when the weather changes so fast, and you're out there trying, and the wind comes, and the paint goes flying, and it's just, I can't wait for, probably, it's probably this week, it's good. But I grew up in western, or eastern Missouri, right on the Missouri River, 
on an 800 acre farm and um it was so cool from my house you could see seven layers of hills that went off to the missouri river and i always loved that idea that it was very geometric and when i look at the landscape i like to see it in very geometric forms and then just i love to add the color it's just you know to me it's just i'd love to be outside i love nothing more than that your colors are just, I, I want to use the word pure, they just come, they jump out at you. And uh, what, what causes that? Uh, what, what do you, how do you do that? That's what I see. All right, cool. That's, that's, that's important as, as an artist, isn't it? Well, I like see. the juxtaposition of colors. When you put two colors next to each other that aren't supposed to be, they really pop at you and it makes they your do. eyeballs go crazy. And I like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it definitely affects, it affects me, and, and that's what art should do. Well, Fred, let me ask you, uh, your first question is, where in the world did you get the name Lightning Heart? Well, that's, that's from the Yaqui tribe down in the Sonoran Desert. Uh, I just got back from my annual pilgrimage. This is my 45th year with the Yaquis at their spring ceremonies. That's, that's amazing. Tell us a little bit more about that, because I have a feeling that that inspires you as well to, uh, to do what you do. Well, I, I grew up on a ranch in the South San Juan Wilderness, uh, and uh, it was 15 miles to the closest town, and it was an all-Hispanic uh, and Native American town. And because of my foster brother, who was uh, uh, half Navajo, uh, we got taken into the Native American church over to Royal Hondo and Taos when we were right out of high school. And that Native point of view, that connection to the land, always made so much sense to me because I grew up out in it all the time. What what does it mean to grow up like that out in nature? Because so many kids today, especially, rather play their games than, than go outside. There's even a, a fellow who coined a term uh, uh, "deficit to nature deficit." I think right, it was. So right. so what what tell us what that's like for you? Well, for me, uh, one of the reasons I do the kind of public art I do is to remind people of what's best about where they live. And usually there's some wonderful thing in the land where we all live, you know, that if you stop to remember, oh, gosh, we live in a magical, good place. So even on a busy day, you can look up and remember, gosh, you know, we live in a magical and wonderful place. It's that, pretty that easy around reminder, here. Yeah, yeah, it is, is easy around is here, isn't it? what's yeah. really important, you know. Right. Uh, and, and since I was always in it, you know, it, it was what I had to present. I thought I'd be a cowboy artist or a wildlife artist. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, how, I'll ask you the same question I asked Mary. How does your passion for the land, how does it uh, influence your painting? Well, I've seen so much change across the West. Uh, you know, I've been camping and traveling and painting, exploring, and uh, all these last years, and the, and. Since I was 30 years old, I'm 71, the West has changed so much in the last 40 years. It's remarkable. And it's, it's important to me to celebrate the beauty of where we live, but also to remind us all the time of the magic and power of our connection to the land and where we live. That's, that's very important. It, it is for, for lots of us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's what motivates us and keeps us going. Uh, Mary, uh, on your website, it says, Mary Noon, Colorado landscape artist. So let me ask you, how how does your passion for the land that we are fortunate enough to live in, specifically, how does the passion for our land influence your painting? I, I mean, it, I know it's a hard question. It's the whole thing. It's the whole okay. reason. Okay. The whole reason I paint landscape is, uh, is just the wildness of it the, and I just the love of it. 
And to me, I, I love being a land. We were talking to Gavin Way coming up here. To, Fred and I were talking about how it's so fun when you paint. You can be, you can kind of play God. You can take the town of Carbondale out. You can put in, you know, you don't have to put all the, the stuff that's there. You can imagine what it was like beforehand and put more just without the buildings, without the, just the mountains and the colors. I just think that that's a pretty neat thing to do. Like like when the indigenous people, the, the Ute people, the, the Nooch, as they call themselves, were here. So you can kind of go back. That's what I like about a good landscape painting. You you don't see all the the noise of our modern right. lives. Right. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people have a hard time as artists blocking out the noise of our modern lives, and it comes into their into their work. But both you guys, I would call purist in the sense you're trying to portray something that's really precious to you and that you want to communicate to someone else. And uh, that definitely is the case for both your both your paintings. That, that the I, shadows and the colors, and it's it, just wonderful. Exactly. It, but what specifically, you talk about magic, this area we live in. What makes it, what makes it magic? You've been in a lot of places. You've painted all over Colorado. Uh, what, what makes the word magic means different things to different people? I just, because I remember the first time I came to this valley, I came in the summertime, I came over Independence Pass, I came that in that direction, so we didn't, and I remember coming to Carbondale and not seeing Sopers until I turned around, and it was, too, it literally took my breath away, it was amazing, just, and I think, you know, my kids are always giving me trouble saying that they're the true natives and I'm not, I say, <laughs> right. yeah, but I moved here because I wanted to be here and I stayed here because this is where I want to be. Right, you know, the, it's, it's funny that when I first came here to check out whether I wanted to move here, uh, with a job with the Bureau of Land Management. I uh, Same thing happened to me when I rounded that corner and saw Sopris in all its glory. It was like, wow. Oh, what is that? Yeah, I want to live here, and I am, and I did, you know, and uh, that was 30-something years ago. Right. So, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, so, Fred, you what, what about you? What's the word magic? What oh, makes gosh. magic? Well, you know, I live up by the trailhead at No Name, and so so – doing chores around my house. I, I, I lift my eyes up 1,700 feet to the cliffs, and the mother eagle is working her way down the edge of the cliff, and the creek's roaring down there, and, and the trees are just bursting forth with leaves, and the service berries are blossoming. And, you know, every moment is alive and magic like that. The, the drama of where we live, the vertical scale of where we live with the huge peaks and the huge canyons... And and the fact that nature is just right there. It's just right over there. You know, that just right up out of town, right up out of your house is nature. You know, that that, uh, that business of presenting it as it as it was before we did stuff with it. I have a four by twelve foot painting in the Glenwood Springs City Hall that's Glenwood Canyon in the old days, before the railroad, before the road in the old days. So it's a composite of three different spots in the canyon with the river in flood in the spring. But I wanted to show what it looked like before we started dividing it up or cutting it up or putting roads in it. That's sort of what and Mary's saying before. Talking about drama. Yeah. yeah. That's a very dramatic place. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's Fred's place? Yeah. Oh, it's a sanctuary for me. When I go there, I feel like I'm completely in a different world, and I get to go in his studio. I get to look at your, you always excitingly show me your, your new stuff. And uh, that's really special to me because, you know, to open yourself up like you do in your work, both of you, to the public, to to expose everything and show them what you really feel is, is a pretty 
uh, makes you pretty vulnerable, doesn't it? I mean, really. Uh, well, I feel I don't. I feel like it's uh, it is. Well, when you paint, you're kind of putting your soul out on the on the canvas, and you just kind of got to go with it. But I feel like um, I've had a deal. Like it seems that every time I find, I used to paint out at the um, Anschutz Ranch before Aspen Glen was there. I painted there for a long time, and I have a lot of paintings when the barn was there. And it was so great. I go out there. I got permission to go out there, and I'd go out there, and I had there was a cat, and a couple of uh, you know rabbits that were around there that would always be hanging out when I'd be out there painting. And the storms were so amazing, these amazing dramatic storms, and I'd be out there doing that. And then I also painted out at Wolfshin Ranch for a long time before that was developed. So it's kind of like you get this this tie to the land, and then it it really just wrenches you when you see getting developed. Just as so you feel like even more driven to be to document it before it's gone. And and you bring up a good point. A lot of people need to need to be aware if you're on public land or private land. If you're on private land, you need to ask permission. So you need to know where you are when you're out there painting or whatever right. you're doing. Which brings me to the question about public land. Um, we're talking here right now about a very, to me, very spiritual thing, your connection to the land and to your soul and to what you do as an artist. But where the heck does public land fit into this? Whoever, which one of you wants to answer that? What's a big deal? So it's public land. So what if uh, states take it over in the West? I mean, it was, it was, I had this last weekend, I had a friend from Connecticut was out here visiting. And she said we were looking at uh, Wolfshin Ranch. We were sitting across. We were sitting in the Iron Springs, Hot Springs. She says, now, who owns that land up there? And I said, you do. She goes, what do you mean I do? And I said, yeah, you, that's your land, and you're letting us, and we all use it. And it is very, it's really amazing. I remember seeing National Geographic had a map, a huge map of public land. And you go, like, right, the, right, right Missouri, right the central, you see off from the east, there's no public land at all. But in the west, it's almost all public land. And it's really, I think, an ama- amazing treasure that we have. And we should uh, respect it and and get out there and take care of it. Well, it, and Wallace Stegner's book, Beyond the 100th Meridian, was what really got me into wanting to help and manage our public land. Uh, because of that very fact that the West is, is different than the East, uh, we have the mass amount of public land here. Uh, what does that mean to you, Fred? Oh, gosh. Uh, the ranch where I grew up was surrounded by the Rio Grande National Forest. It was an inholding of a block of old homesteads. Uh-huh. And we were right against the South San Juan wilderness. Wow. And, uh, and so uh, I was surrounded with public land and huge areas of public land. All my life, really, but camping and traveling around the West and painting, uh, it's been so valuable. It's so amazing to see how important the national parks and monuments are to all, to everybody everywhere. In the, I was part of an artist community called Oracle, north of Tucson, uh, and I lived with a painter named Elizabeth Ott, and we used to do several painting trips a year all over the West, and we'd go from national park to national park and find places to, you know, to paint where we could camp and paint. And we met people from all over the world. And, you know, we'd sell a painting right off the tailgate and we could camp for another two weeks. And so it was it was fabulous. And you got to see how important the parks were to people because we weren't urban people. But you could see people from all these cities who were just blown away by being out there. People from other nations. And I think people don't really, a lot of people don't even realize the, the, the value of public land and that it really and truly it belongs to all Americans. 
And there are groups of people out there who would like to change that. And there were when Teddy Roosevelt created a lot of the public land and started this whole process against against the powers that be uh, who were vicious in their criticism of him. And we seem to see that same kind of cycle coming around. So I, I guess the question I'll ask you next is we're, we're talking about a spiritual connection. And how does public land fit into that? I mean, it, it comes across in your work, you, the land you're painting, whether it's private or public. But how can how can other people, how can other artists connect to that same spiritual connection that you two have? Huh, that's an interesting question. I'd say that um, I feel that when I'm out painting, it's um, it's an, a natural extension of what's going on. I think that Americans, what am I going to say here? The way you look, the way Americans look at the land is something that they always look at the land as, as something that's very, very much a part of the character of what America is. The landscape is such a big deal to um, what what forms our national psyche. Part of is the land. Right. Yeah, most Americans aren't near it. You know, I'm always amazed when you're out in there somewhere and you see no one. And, you know, there are places like, you know, New Jersey, New York, places like that where you can't go anywhere without having people right on top of you. And here we have all this land where you've got all this place where you can get rejuvenated by it. But I think the the land is a big part of the American character in that it's like you think of the um, wide open spaces as being very much a part of who we are. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what that does for you, but I think it's a real strength for the culture. So so let me throw a monkey ranch in here. Um, we have a lot of advertisement. Oh, yeah, this is the place to live. And then Outdoor Magazine puts something in the last 10 great places we'd like to ruin by telling you That's about right. them. Hanging so Lake so we have Hanging Lake is a good example <laughs> right. of that. So what do we do? I mean, do we, uh, do we say like a lot of people tend to? Well, I, you know, I'm here now, so nobody else is welcome. But we're going to have a huge influx of people here over the next 10 years, the next decade or two. Um, how does that uh, how does that influence your view towards public land and what you do on public land? Do we do welcome everybody that comes? Or we say oh, it'd be nice if we went back home where you came from. What do we do about this, Fred and Mary? <laughs> well, it's it's like visit but don't stay. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. <laughs> but but the the power of nature is so um, built into us. Because, you know, what we get from painting is that it's a right brain, 100% in the present, direct experience of something that's there. And we're going, wow, because there's stuff you can't make up, you know. And, and so we get to be there to see it and, and to record it in some way and then share it with other people. The thing about being out in nature is it's the thing they don't teach us in school is that who we are is not our thoughts. Who we are is not our mind or the left side of our brain. That's one thing we've got. But art happens on the right side of the brain the same way dancing, skiing, kayaking, everything else of that sort happens. That it isn't thoughts. And so when you're out in nature, your opinions about how stuff's happening in life, whatever's going on in your personal life, all of a sudden is in perspective because you realize you're part of something that's huge and alive that's way bigger and, you know, way bigger than we are. You're not we're in charge. One little part yeah. of it. You're not in charge. You know, yeah. and so the nourishment comes from recognizing who we are as part of something way bigger and, and alive and, and built to work. And and you see it happening around you. The lucky thing about getting paid to be out th- out there in nature 
as we see how complex and interconnected it is. And we see how varied and alive it all is, you know, just by sitting there. So this love for Mother Nature and the land, how, how does, does that translate for you and, and Mary to any activism on part of public lands? Well, we, were, um, um, we had the Garfield Legacy Project a few years ago that was trying to do a, um, a tax for open land preservation. And it was amazing to be involved with that. That was me and Martha Cochran, Clark Anderson, John Levy, people like that were working on it. It was wonderful, but it was I, I was so blown away because I thought that there was more support for it. And there really, I mean, we got defeated soundly. But I thought that it was we had more, there were more people were more aware of that, were more interested in preserving land in conservation easements than they right. really were. It was very much of an eye-opener for me. Yeah, the last uh, for land's sake had had Mary uh, had Martha here. I mean, uh, Mary. She was uh, for a while there for a long period of time. Was the executive director of the Aspen Valley yeah. Land Trust, which has set aside a lot of open land. So uh, you know, we we try to inform the public there on that show of of what they can do to bring about conservation easements on land that they care about. Um, you know, how about you, Fred? How does how does it translate into activism for on behalf of public lands and land in general? Um, in terms of activism, it, it's only in, in occasional. Um, you know, we all end up donating paintings to good causes, or we end up doing posters for uh, good events and good causes, uh, and. So in that way, we get to serve as still that reminder of, of the livingness of it all. Uh, and uh, that's what we get to do. Well, what does it mean to be a public artist? Because we mentioned at the start of the show what, uh, that you have more landscape um, murals, public art, than any other single person in the United States. What does it mean to be a public artist to you, First Fred? Well, um, it's it's art that belongs to everyone. It's art that improves and, and decorates the community. But it's also art that reminds the community of how magic it is, how beautiful it is. And and what, what happens when I, uh, you know, I hate to even mention this, but one of your murals was painted over recently across the, right next to the Forest Service. What, uh, how does that make you feel? Well, it's always, you know, a, a loss and, and a little bit of a shock. But at the same time, uh, it's wonderful that every mural has its own lifetime, every piece of public art. And they do good for as long as they're there, you know, and then you just keep making more of them. <laughs> and there's a new public that's going to have their art. That's right. That's right. There's always there's always a new public, isn't there, coming there, in? People, yeah. Kids are born that, that we hope to have a sense of appreciation <laughs> for public land as well. Um, so, Mary, you're, you're going to be featured here soon in uh, July 2016, uh, a show called Ode to Aspen at the Red Brick Art Center in Aspen. And the show runs through the month of July, uh, but the opening is July the 7th from, I think, 5 to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's more information at the Red Brick. Uh, you can call 970-429-2778. Again, uh, 970-429-2777 if you'd like to participate in that. Tell us a little bit about that if you could, Mary. Well, we're meeting tomorrow on it. I think it'll be great. It's because um, I have a lot of paintings of around Aspen, but not so much the buildings in Aspen. I have more of the 
Like I'd have a couple from Maroon Bells, which is a, I always thought that was kind of hokey to go up there because everybody was up there. That's an amazing spot to paint. Painted up there last summer a couple of times. And just the places around there and all the mountains. And the um, I do have a couple of street scenes. It's just kind of more the, it's supposed to be Aspen. And I've got a lot of Sopris ones and things of that sort that I can't help having. Oh, I love your Aspen, uh, I mean, your Sopris paintings. Aspen, though, you know, the Maroon Bells are iconic. And uh, and I've seen more people up there painting or taking photographs. And that's a good example of public land being uh, used to the benefit of art. So I, I think, you know. We, and that's we, well managed, too. It is. It is well managed. That's correct. Uh, Fred, what about you? What have you got planned for this well, I have a, a big mural season coming up. Uh, I had a grant to fix some of my 25- and 30-year-old paintings down in the San Luis Valley. So I get to complete a 14-by-60-foot uh, a water serpent wow. uh, right off the bat this coming week. And then I have a Virgin of Guadalupe mural to, to uh, redo in the town of Antonito. And then I'm fixing up uh, one of my old murals in Leadville that I did in 1990 that's held up. Uh, at 10,000 feet uh, until now, but it needs fixing desperately. And then a brand new mural for Leadville. Well, now when you go and fix those, do you change the painting at all? Or are you just kind oh, of redoing I'm, it? This one I'm going to completely repaint, essentially, because it's in such bad shape. Really? It's old, south-facing soft brick, but it's four famous ladies of Leadville huh. right across from the Tabor Opera House. Wow. And so we're going to power wash it and repair the wall, and then I'll essentially repaint it. Good. So let me ask you quickly, which one of you wants to talk about what your favorite painting is? Do you have one that you really grabbed you and, and well, kept holding? One of the favorite ones I have is the one I called Fails Bales. And it's okay. a Bill Fails' Bales up on uh, towards Redstone. And it was something because that was a culmination of the entire summer I painted hay bales. I got into a hay bale thing. Okay. And I'd have people give me alerts, you know, the hay bales are down in Newcastle now. Hurry up. <laughs> Run down there. But it was... Uh, it was the culmination of all the, it's like maybe 10 paintings I did, or maybe more than that, of this over the summer, and I culminated in Fails Bales, and it was uh, just a beautiful, the light was perfect, and it was one of those gorgeous Sopris days. It was September 30th, I remember, before going to see the Wild Magnolias at the uh, 3rd Street Center, I sat out there and painted. So that's my favorite. Fred, what about you? Uh, I think my Glenwood painting, where you go to the post office of the Flat Tops Wilderness. That's my, one of mine, too. Because it's that view from the top of Blair Mountain down to the Blair Lakes and the South Fork of the White and, and you know, uh, Trapper's Lake and the Marvine Peaks. And it's a local place, but we don't get to see very often. All right. It's time to sign off here. And I want to thank you, Mary and Fred, for appearing on For Land's Sake today.